0: And I need to be saved from my own. Nowadays, people even use the word demons. Yeah. And we don't really mean demons, maybe. But, that, but people, the again, this gets back to what you know already, what you know you're being afflicted by. And the fact that a society that is becoming post-Christian continues to talk about people having demons says that they do know there's a problem. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Faith
1: Recovery Podcast, where three failed pastors, Alex, Kent, and Nathan, are seeking to recover from bad ideas about God and recover what's really good and wonderful about the gospel. We're in a series, Recovering Faith. We've done one episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's recap real quick. In the last episode, we said that we've, in the modern church, in the American church, we've embellished on the gospel. We've done these theatrics to try to draw people in. Why have we done that? Um, It must mean there's something insufficient about the gospel. And in fact, we said there is something insufficient about the gospel we preach. Yes. It's failing in our day. And is that because the gospel is insufficient or is it because we've had a version of the gospel that's insufficient? Mm -hmm. And we basically said, we're the ones who changed the gospel and made it insufficient. And so we're, we're, we're transitioning now to begin to discuss what is the powerful, world-changing gospel. So today, our point number one is, if the gospel is God's power to save,
0: it surely would sell itself. Right, yeah. We, well, we talked last time about how we come up with all these elaborate uh, methods to sell the gospel. And, and that, to me, suggests that whatever it is we're selling— is not marketable. That there's not a, a market for it or a place, and so that's that's a problem. We shouldn't be like, well, how can we how can we market it even better? Uh, we should be saying, why does nobody want to buy this? Um, and not that the gospel should appeal to us, our senses or whatever. That to the point that we're not, you know, Paul calls out and he he says we're not like some who make merchandise of the gospel. So. And, and I think he's speaking of people who were preaching the gospel in order to make money, but also people who were just those same people are going to be very uh, intentional about trying to make it sound good. And obviously that's going to do violence to the message. There's just a um, conflict of interest there that comes when you're trying to get somebody to do a thing. We tend to resort to tactics that don't really meet up with integrity and i think we've done that but because we've done that we've not been able to say wait why why is this not going over we just you know we didn't ask why isn't why isn't the message itself not going over we we just said how do we get more people to come into our buildings and how do we present it in a way that uh maybe would be appealing but paul says the gospel is god's power to salvation let's say i had a wand, right? People people like Harry Potter and stuff like that, so uh, let's just say, and and I've noticed that they have these, you you can buy a wand, right? It's a a tapered stick. I -hmm. I just can't imagine, you know, I mean, I I like a good stick as much as the next guy, but having just this thing that's a tapered stick, and so you can play that you're doing it, uh, that seems strange, but and then, you know, now they've got it where it'll shoot a little spark out of the end, kapow, you know. Mm -hmm. But what if I had one that would just be like, boom, you know, and and the magic would come out of the end, and you know, you're your 73 Volkswagen Beetle is now a you know, 2022 Lamborghini, and pow! What well, I have a hard time selling this thing. Um, if you, if you, all, all you'd have to do is demonstrate its power, right. and it would sell. Yeah, let's say it's a lamp with a genie, right? And I, this lamp has a genie in it. You know, I rub it, a genie comes out, you know, and, I, and I go back, genie, and now it's for sale. How much, how much am I bid? You know, we're not going to have to take someone through a 90-minute presentation on why having a genie is a good thing. Um and, and so that what I'm contending is is that if Paul in Romans one sixteen is correct, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. If that's true, then why why would we need such you know exhaustive tactics? Why can't we just simply proclaim it and Watch let it work? work? And so if if what we are teaching cannot sell itself should we ask how are we yeah, should we ask questions like how do we how do we market it better or should we ask questions like what is it we're doing how is it we've tweaked it maybe in a small way that's caused it to not contain that kind of power that's caused it to become less compelling not in a sense of of enticing, but in a sense of this kind of world changing awe that God's power should should bring with it, and uh, Paul, it seems to me, if you read his his writings, he he was really in awe of his own message. He was like, man, this is this is worth going all in for. Um, and so is there something, has the world changed so much that the gospel is no longer the power of God to salvation? I don't think so, because it would seem that the power of God wouldn't be like, oh, man, Go out the style. scientific method, drats, you know, foiled again, you know, mm-hmm. cultures changed, individualistic culture, drats, foiled again, you know, that there really shouldn't be anything that would at least entirely mitigate the literal power of God to save people. So there must be something wrong. With our gospel and his gospel, there must be some sort of of difference. Mm-hmm. If his is the power, his pa- God's power to salvation, and ours is a timeshare sales pitch. Yeah, I
2: I don't uh, you know I, I wouldn't think that most like church leaders in our day and age think that they're um, trying to sell the gospel. You know. Maybe on those terms. I think a lot of them think um, we've we've just got to get people to come hear the gospel. So we're going to do these things to get them to come to church, and then we'll present the gospel to them, mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll hear and you know uh, hopefully believe and come to faith in Christ. Um, but you know it's geared all about we have to get people to come, and so I, yeah. I think that's that's mentally what people are trying to do. So what would you say to them?
0: Sure yeah well I I would I understand that I mean I think we all understand that the conversation isn't how do we augment the gospel we don't actually say that in church meetings but what we do say is um, we have conversations about how to help people change their lives leveraging the resources of the church Um, and so what is the power of God to save is it the message, or is it these dynamics of—these um, that are these kind of conforming dynamics? Do we just—do we give people a new friend group who are against drugs, you know? So, so
2: what what is the Christian package that we're— Right. —either explicitly or not, you know, what is this package that we're actually marketing and selling in a way? So, right. So, okay, let's say we do get them in the door. What are— what are we selling people on? Oh, that leads to point number two. Yeah. Point number two is
1: the gospel is the simple announcement about Jesus contained in the Bible, but this announcement is not bound to it, the yeah. Bible. What did you mean by that yeah. when you said this is—we'll get into the, what the announcement is. Sure. But then you you said it's the simple announcement about Jesus contained in the Bible, but not bound to it. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, and this is our, our ongoing theme, and, and so— I, I think, and, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, and um, but I, I think that most of the time we see the gospel as that by which a person enters a relationship with God, um, and that they maintain that relationship with God by obeying what's in the Bible, and that the church is here to um, tell people what's in the Bible and to hold them accountable to do it and encourage them in that Way. Wait, that's not what we're supposed to be doing.
2: <laughs> well, I thought, I thought that's what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> I, I, I
0: there are there are certainly aspects in which the church is we, we are here for support and accountability and all of that, but that the where we've missed it is when we came to think that the Bible is a is supposed to be this this set of rules that is really an unpalatable set of rules. And you really do need a bunch of people around you to help you to do them because it's not—it's not fun. It's not pleasant, and there are probably more enticing things out there than doing what the Bible says. So we kind of need the—we need the church to do that. Which—which which we have to ask when, when it gets to this idea of the power of God. What is actually providing the—the the energy and the motivation? Is it this peer dynamic? is it authority um is it some sort of uh, promise of maybe a happier life in the immediate because that's kind of what we've what we've begun to resort to is you know if you if you are pure until you're married your marital sex is going to be mind-blowing and a lot of people have discovered that that was a hollow promise and have felt gypped in the purity culture Um, I've got another one just
2: because we we were talking about this over the weekend, Kent and I, but um, I think one, especially in America, one popular kind of selling point for, uh, you know, the church, and being involved in the church was that you will have a great family (laughs) and your kids will grow up and make you proud. Mm -hmm. And um, what we're seeing right now especially is that um, a lot of kids – are not buying into this and they're totally rejecting the faith of their parents and making them look bad in front of their peers. You know, so um, once again, you know, I think a lot of parents are like, you know, um, really struggling with that. They're like, hey, I did all, all this stuff, you know, the right way and my kids were supposed to turn out great and they're not. You know, I feel gypped, you know, because I think we've sold them this idea or this promise that if you're a Christian and you are faithful to go to church and to tithe and and go to Sunday school and keep your kids in youth ministry and all those things, that um, they're going to turn out good. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not true.
0: (laughs) Well, and then we associate those promises with God, and people start to say, God let me down.
2: Yeah. It's like, (laughs) well, um, I did everything right, so it must be God that's the problem here or something akin to that. And so, yeah, very, very disillusioned
0: sure and uh, and when i say that the gospel is not bound to the bible i when i the gospel was the original engine that the the bible as we have it today is the result of the preaching of the gospel we have to understand that because otherwise we get the cart you know in front of the horse and we say you have to have the bible to have the gospel but that is historically not the case you have to have the gospel to have the bible and and that's super important in that we will not understand the Bible until we realize that the gospel is the word of God given, that the gospel is God's revelation of himself, and that the Bible is the product of the proclamation of the gospel and the community that resulted from the gospel, which all goes to to say that the gospel is—it's— Always new. It is that new wine. It is fresh. It is relevant. It's not culturally bound, whereas the Bible necessarily has to be, uh, because it's written. in any time you get really specific, you you you're. you're Speaking into a culture and from a culture, mm-hmm. these these things are going to be somewhat limited by time and space and occasion. And so we try to make things that were written to people who lived in very different uh, milieu. You know, to and we and we say we've got you've got to do this. So uh, in um, First Timothy uh, i three or Titus one, one of those two pastoral sets that talk about elders, and it says he must he must be the husband of one wife. And we think, well, if he's ever been divorced, he can't be an elder. That's like, dude. This is written into a culture where there's polygamy. You know, it's not. It doesn't it doesn't track. It's not a one to one. You know, all these passages about how slaves should behave and stuff, and we apply that to employees. Well, it's not necessarily a one to one. You can leave. You can get a different job. You know, you you are somewhat free in our culture. So it's not necessarily a one to one. But it's almost like we need those passages because we don't have anything specifically telling us how to be a good employee. But the fact of the matter is, is that Paul got that advice from his understanding of the gospel. He didn't, you know, he didn't go to a mountain and and God didn't chisel on stone, you know, work as unto the Lord. But he said he looked to the, the concept of the gospel. It's like we just can't. For some reason we can't connect the dots. He gleaned
1: from the gospel these applications he made in his day for, exactly. his, for his day. And we have to glean from the gospel the applications for our day.
0: Right. That there are authoritative messages that God is speaking to people from the gospel about their specific life circumstance that are not contained in the New Testament. And and the sooner we understand that, I think the sooner we'll grasp that that the gospel is sufficient. Um in as a rule for life Mm -hmm. uh now the what we're really getting to and and been hitting around is is that we need to actually say what the gospel is i think we probably have on another podcast but maybe succinctly to say we keep knocking around this word and it almost becomes like technical jargon anymore Mm -hmm. Uh, but people have lots of uh, bonkers ideas about what the gospel is um just looking at uh, i got a cockamamie book about the um astronomy from a mormon perspective and so apparently god lives in the middle of the milky way Mm. (laughs) and that the, the galaxies are white in the center red in a, in the next ring out and blue on the next outside because we know that God is American <laughs> mm,
2: mm. <Whoa. laughs> let's just go off our night right. so yeah. he created the universe no America he, didn't. He, uh, <laughs>
0: he only created this galaxy he's one of a oh, billion so this is of America's billions of galaxies right is this is, yeah, yeah yeah well I mean our manifest <laughs> destiny is more than just the globe it is the, the galaxy um, but that's the limit because our God is only the center of this galaxy, and there are gods at the center of every galaxy, every many hundred billions. Oh, Again, Mormon. But, okay. but he says that this is, he, he talks about this as being uh, an astronomer's reflection on what he calls the gospel. And I'm like, what the heck is the gospel in your, in your conception? If, and by the way, if Mormons come to your door and you're a Christian, I want you to bring them in. I want you to ask them, hey, I just have one question. What is the gospel?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They, they use that word all the time. They don't have a clue what it means.
1: It's kind of a generic. It's a summation of just Mormonism, the Mormon faith, yeah. their testimony, all things. Yeah. All of
0: this wrapped up. Right. The gospel is Mormonism, and I, and I think a lot of people hear that as Christians. They say, "Well, the gospel is Christianity." Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like it's like, what from it's like the,
1: the life of Jesus in the Gospels. It's just this. You know, it's 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 very vague.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so we just need to be really specific about what is the gospel. Announcement about Jesus Christ crucified, raised to life,
1: and reigning at God's right hand until he returns to restore creation. Yep,
0: yep. So uh, from my perspective, at least, that is the, the shape of the gospel. That, you know, If you were to cast its shadow on the wall, that's its silhouette. Now, if you were to begin to, to kind of look at it in, in technicolor, then there's nuance and there's implication and stuff that's all essential to it, but but that's the shape of it. So things that go outside of that perimeter are not the gospel. <laughs> that's just to kind of help us understand what what's in and what's out. Now the implications, the significance, the the background behind that is deep. It's textured. I, I tend to think of it as being a um, say a, a border, a boundary, a circle. It's got a very uh, limited diameter. But it's also a very deep and high. Deep well. It's a well with, you know, mm. the, that's infinitely deep, but very finite in its in its diameter and its perimeter, which means that it's simple. Someone can learn it in a few seconds, but yet it is profound to the point that we will never plumb the significance of it. Um, and the gospel is as as stated in the New Testament, there are several places, especially in the letters. Like I, I recommend that you go through and read the Book of Acts and find all those sermons, because those give that texture and that nuance, that Old Testament background, the Hebrew scriptures, the implications, and you know, kind of a contextual presentation of the gospel. The letters give just a brief explanation of the gospel, a brief outline of it from a the perspective of the writer of the letter. So the, when this letter comes, it is it is shooting a shaft of light through this what I I think of as a diamond, and I, I get that from other places that I probably I can't cite, but um, you know Jewish the Jewish idea is that the the Torah is a multifaceted diamond, and you turn it um, and it yields new insight. Well, I, I see the Gospel as being that multifaceted diamond, that very finite thing that is brilliant and rare and beautiful, but it is. Uh, also multifaceted. And so as we get to the letters, what we see is that there is the shaft of light that's traveling through. So what we get is a statement of the gospel from a various perspective or with an agenda in mind. Um, And so I I thought we should maybe go through a couple of those to kind of give some authority. Uh, You guys want to?
1: Yeah, so in Romans 1 verses 1 through 4, Paul's introducing himself He says he's set apart for the gospel, and he says the gospel is something that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from
0: the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Boom. Sort of a
1: summation of his gospel.
0: Really, if you go through the book of Romans... um, he just unpacks this. And what I think what's important to, in the book of Romans is that Paul is looking at a gospel of the kingdom. Romans isn't just about my relationship with God. It is about Israel as the people of faith. And so um, that Israel has not been, the nation of Israel hasn't been replaced, but that there, the stipulations of who's in Israel, that the covenant has changed to the point that Israel is now open to all who are of faith. And so this is a this is a gospel of, um, where he says that Jesus was appointed the the Son of God. You know, we could say, well, wait a minute, I thought he already was the Son of God. Um, but he's really looking at um, Psalm 2. And and he say, you know, Psalm 2 is, is you know, this is Today, you are my son. Uh, you know, I've, I've appointed you as my son. And so there's this messianic psalm, and he's saying that Jesus is the one who is elevated to the right hand of God to reign over the world as king of Israel, but the king of the world. So that's the why the gospel's stated that way. Alex, you want to grab that next yeah. one? Yeah. So 1 Corinthians
2: chapter 2, first couple of verses. Um, Paul says and so it was with me brothers and sisters when I came to you I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Boom. Hmm. Jesus Messiah
1: and him crucified. That's a very succinct right, version of the gospel.
0: Yeah. I mean, we can find the gospel embedded in various places. There are just some places where Paul especially says, this is the testimony. This is the word. And this is one of those places. So um, the contention that the gospel is very succinct and finite is um, certainly borne out uh, in that passage, especially um, Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that's a pretty powerful one. We could unpack it probably all morning, but we're not going to. you want to get the next oh, one? Oh, I like this ahead. one. I like this one because he talks about dying for our sins. Uh, 1
1: Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty succinct, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I like it because there he's getting you, you talked about how it's it's like there's this there's this narrow diameter then there's this deep well beneath yeah. it. Here in other places he just talks about Christ crucified and here he begins to unpack the meaning of Christ crucified. Yeah. He died for our sins.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and again, it, it gets back to this idea that the scriptures are the companion volume. That we can't discount them. That they are there to give rich, rich texture, uh, significance, contextualization. It, it does you mean because he says according to the scriptures? right? Twice, yeah. um, and and uh, I think it does bear mentioning, though, that he is talking about the Hebrew Scriptures there and not the entire thing volume that we call the Bible. Which um, they did not have yet, right? Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You can't have First Corinthians and receive First Corinthians. You can't eat your cake and have it too. Um, and so, uh, yeah, these, these passages, they, they all come at it from a different place. Galatians 1, another little summation of the gospel.
1: He's introducing himself in these letters and he's, when these chapter one, the reason we're reading, the reason it happens that several of these are from the first chapter of a letter is because Paul's introducing himself and he's introducing his message and he's you know providing these little summaries of his message that he's going to unpack. So here he's saying grace to you, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and
0: Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. So that's probably my favorite statement of it just cuz it tells us what we're saved from and that's something we will talk about more as we go on. But, uh, you know, we talk a lot about salvation, and, and I think that people who were educated in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, they, they didn't wonder what they needed saving from. Um, but we do, and uh, maybe especially as we live in a uh, what, what we perceive as a, kind of a secure environment and stuff, and we think, well, I'm good to go. Uh, but that's really not the case, and we'll—
1: I think for the sake of our our discussion, we should skip from there to the next point. I think so. Uh, Because you just touched on the next point, yeah, which is we don't need the power of God to be saved from hell. It's
2: like, wait, we don't? (laughs) How how are we going to be saved from hell? That's a provocative (laughs) statement. It is. What is the meaning of
1: this statement? Why do we not need the power of God
0: to be saved from hell? So we don't need the power of God to be saved from hell. I I give you a little letter here, and I think what happens, uh, we have this divide. So if you are currently a... uh, say, a committed evangelical Christian, you probably have some blind spots. And if you don't know that, you're not very well equipped to reach people with the gospel. Um, and, and so it's important, I think, for both, for people who are committed evangelical Christians to really process the gospel and ask from, you know, just try to put themselves in the mentality of somebody who's not a believer and try to hear our message from their perspective. So I thought I would what I would do is I would write a letter— To my neighbor okay and and um, this is my letter of of grace offered to my neighbor uh, who has offended me so dear your name here your actions have made me violently angry in fact I was resolved to come to your house and shoot you dead but I shot my son instead you are officially forgiven you are welcome now, I now expect you to memorialize my son. If you fail to do this, I will become even more angry and come to kill you and your family. Love me. Or torture you for eternity. Right, yeah, depending on your perspective and your eschatology. Um, yeah, I, I will come and, and tie you up and poke you with sticks and keep you alive as long as I can. And, uh, you know, um, now, my question is, uh, how do how do you hear that letter? So, again, we had to, you know... Uh, there was a prophet Nathan in the Bible. Here I am, the prophet Nathan. No, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a little old me. But I want us to get out of our own head and our own milieu and the things that we assume are true. Um, and I want us to really think, how is this being heard by people out there on the street? Um, how is this God being perceived? And so this letter I, I wrote, it's just I want people who are Christians to say, how do you hear that? What do you think? sounds like uh,
2: an abusive, unhinged, um, crazy person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What do you think, Kent? Um, I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Somebody who's certainly not, I mean, are are you like, oh, he did that for me? (laughs) (laughs) He he shot his son for me. Right. Does it, do, do we think, man, what a powerful, powerful guy. What a powerful individual! You know the the power that it took, or, or do we think, man, he made some choices along the way that I think are probably not the best. I think he should have made different choices. Um, and and so this idea that there's going to be a judgment or time in hell and that God has saved you from it, it sounds like a protection racket. You know, it's it sounds like God's coming around and he's like, man, this is a dangerous neighborhood. You know, a lot it, of business.
2: someone to hurt your family (laughs) yeah right yeah yeah
0: yeah there's there's a there's a lot of crime around here you know and i know the cops they can't always take care of you you know (laughs) maybe we could come in we could help you out for a reasonable fee huh you know uh and but but does it take power for the gangland guy to not you know to protect you from what may happen yeah, does does he require a lot of strength in order, to, you know, is there an exertion of some sort of uh, ability to change things in in your store not being vandalized this week? Uh, or is it just simply dude, just don't do that. You know, it, it's not really about power. it's about a volition, but also from the perspective of the one who is being threatened. Um, let's say now I, I say, Look, I, I've got this, this potion, and I found this, you know, as a, a Maharaja at the, in the light of a full moon and, you know, all this incantation and stuff. And he promises me that, that this potion will rescue you from the jinn. That the that the that the gin won't be able to hurt you, or or so it's say, a bottle of gin, or right, that? right, yeah, the gin, uh, or you know the um yeah, the a fairy. Let's yes. go with European background, right? And and Jeez. you know the the these forests they're just full of fairies, and the, you know they're gonna come and get you, and you you need to take this potion, or you're going to be you know destroyed by the, by these fairies. Now, does this does this potion suppose this potion does rescue from fairies? Okay. Um, but am I going to perceive it as powerful if I can't see the fairies, um, that nobody I know has ever been attacked by a fairy, um, that, you know, wh- whether something happens, say, you know, your car breaks down, and it, well, the, it was the fairies, and, and okay, maybe it was, uh, right? But but the people who take the potion and the people who don't take the potion, do their cars break down roughly at the same rate, you know? And And has there been some sort of exercise of power in the use of this potion well because we can't see it because there's no way to falsify or verify it you know something that that has power is something that has to be demonstrably if we make a claim that something has power it has to be demonstrably powerful you, know, you can say look I'm one of those people that I'm just deceptively strong in fact I can deadlift 1500 pounds and you're like wow you know it's, yeah and could I see oh no <laughs> I never do I, I don't I don't I feel like it intimidates people and yeah. again is that a, is that a claim of power or is that just saying something you know ridiculous that I expect somebody to believe
1: so okay I want to slow things down here because this is kind of philosophical and I'm not sure that we've been really clear yeah um, <clears throat> So if the gospel does save from hell, it's not a, because it's powerful. Right. That's yes. your point. That is my point. Um, it's because maybe God is merciful or God has decided right. not to send you to hell. Yes. But it's not a demonstration of power. Right. If the if the gospel saves you from hell. Right. Right. And and but again, Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Yeah. So we've so we're misunderstanding Paul or and misinterpreting uh, the gospel. If we say that the gospel is the power of God to save us from hell, your point is that that doesn't make sense, right? Right. Because we don't need to. We don't need the power of God in order for, to be saved by God from
0: hell, if right? He
2: could just decide to forgive us,
0: right? Well, that and that's the contention. I mean, there are reasons why that's not the case in terms of justice and all of that, but. In, from the perspective, and, and all of that has to be true for the gospel to demonstrate its power to save us, but the, my point is is that whatever the, whatever the gospel saves us from has to be a clear and present danger for us to credibly say it is the power of God to save. And your, and your point is that hell, the
1: threat of hell, is not a clear and present danger. It's neither now, clear nor present. We have been taught as evangelicals to think of it as a clear and present danger. Right. That's been a that's been like a major theme in evangelical preaching. Hell sure. is a is imminent.
0: Yeah. If you and, were to
2: die on the drive home tonight, yeah. Do uh-huh. You know. <laughs> do you know where you would go? Uh-huh. Sure.
0: Well, and and death is a clear and present danger, uh, and so we can try to leverage that for the idea of hell. But it, the problem is is that if you offer someone a solution to something that you have to, you have to create the danger first and then you offer them the solution, or at least convince them of the danger, then it starts to sound like a protection racket. Um, and so there must be something more. I'm not saying that there's not a judgment and all that, and that is something we will continue to unpack. But I'm saying that from the perspective of where Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save everyone who believes, that Paul has seen something, he's seen power at work, and that that has, that spurs him, that energizes him to tell people this story. So this this gospel, this power of God is able
2: to do something far more powerful before you ever reach death. Right. And ever have to face a judgment.
0: Right, right. And... And so there, there must be something that's endangering people that I, if I were just to talk to you and say, and ask you some questions about your life, I, I, you would know, wait a minute, I am. I am suffering. I, I am living in the face of hazards and, and dangers that, that I, am, I am being afflicted and oppressed in ways that maybe I've just taken for granted because that's how it's always been. That I that I could just ask how your life is, and I, I could unpack that, and I could demonstrate to you that you, as a person, as a, as an individual soul, you're currently going through a hazard that there are that there is an erosion of, of who you are and of um, your future and your present, um, and and that, that that there's something you need to be saved from right now, and that in being saved right now you've really assured your salvation in the eventualities out there so that's the that's the hope that's the goal and um, so it also needs to be said that whatever we're being saved from must be an insurmountable threat in that we can't just get over it ourselves and which is why the turner burn gospel doesn't work in that it is not a present danger nor is it necessarily clear unless i make it so um, the The other side is, you know, we've we've kind of gotten away from turner burn recently. I mean, there's some little fundamentalist churches, I'm sure, that still preach hellfire and brimstone, but you don't hear that word much, even in evangelical churches, at least not ones that are hoping to grow. That they're really more about self help. Um, the problem is, is that if those those self help strategies and that advice, if that can be duplicated by somebody else who doesn't. Believe in Jesus or proclaim the mm-hmm. gospel. Someone who meditates. This is mindfulness. Yeah. Right. So Joel Osteen's book sold a lot of copies, made a big difference. You can read the reviews from other people. But Tony Robbins' book also. <laughs> sold even more copies, even more positive reviews. um, And Tony Robbins is not referring to the gospel at all. Um, And uh, ironically named his book Unlimited Power. (laughs) Unlimited Power. It's like, well, I'm sure it's limited, sir. Uh, (laughs) Quite limited. (laughs) All I can hear is the voice of the emperor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Unlimited. (laughs) okay um (laughs) well okay (laughs) so anyway motivating people to uh to to feel better is not necessarily what we're going for um so it has to be a clear and present danger and the gospel has to save us from that kind of leading into the
2: next point um you you know I'm, i'm just thinking about everything that you're saying um Instead of coming with kind of this protection racket message, you know, like, hey, if you died, because then, you know, I got this dad and he may have to punish you, you yeah. know. Um, you know, it's coming to people based on what they already recognize to be true, you know. Um, have you noticed there's there's something wrong with this world that we're living in? Yeah. It, you know, and I don't think anyone would be like, what? No, everything's great. Everything's perfect. If they're you know, being honest or sane, yeah. be like, yeah, things are really messed up. And, uh, you know, I've got hurts, hangups. I've got people that have hurt me. If I'm being honest, I've hurt a lot of people. And this just seems to keep going on and on and on. And so um, if that's our starting point, I don't think anybody would deny that. That, makes a, you know, that presents the clear and present danger that there is something wrong with this world. And if we're being honest uh, with ourselves, we, we all recognize that it's destroying us, both mm-hmm. individually, the integrity of our own self-being, you know, and also our society. We can see that something is just constantly attacking, you know, the foundations of society, and it seems like it just keeps tearing things down. Mm-hmm. And do we have a gospel that can address yeah, and those so, problems? Yeah, and so when we approach approach people like You know, on that basis, that is something that they can recognize because everybody would say, yeah, yeah, I recognize that to be true because it's obvious. Just look at the news, you know, (laughs) look out your front window.
0: Yeah.
1: Point number three, the gospel saves us from our corrupt society.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are we being saved from? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for so long we've said are you saved and get saved and and people assume if you're familiar with Christianity you assume that that's hell or uh, by saved we mean forgiven and by forgiven we mean not going to go to hell when you die so it all comes back to that but um, it doesn't seem that the New Testament really takes that approach Uh, sometime go through the book of Acts and look for the word hell you won't find it that the good news, uh, as proclaimed after Christ's resurrection, it took on a different flavor. Um, and so the first uh, proclamation of the gospel um, after Christ's resurrection, Kent, give us your radio voice there.
1: Mm, Acts uh,
0: chapter 2, verse 40. With many other words,
1: Peter warned them, and he pleaded with them, quote, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So what do you think when you when you hear that? I mean, he has some notes, but uh... well, I mean, I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he didn't really mean that they themselves they will save themselves, but that it was a manner of speaking, like you you need rescue from this corrupt society from the corruption of this world. Yes. Yeah, and you've got an option before you to get rescued out of that. Choose what I'm offering. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, which that, is the gospel he's preaching.
0: Exactly. Yeah, he, he says, "Save yourselves." There's this um, this call to flee. I think that it's like, hey,
2: <laughs> get to higher ground, people.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 Or get out of you know get out of Egypt or you know however you you conceive of it. But he's saying you're being given an opportunity to flee. When he says "save yourself," it's not that he's saying earn your salvation, off. but run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, and here's your, and here's the path. Yeah. Here's the way out. I'm offering you the way out, right? And it's this message about Christ crucified and risen, Lord of all, right?
0: Yeah, and and in, implicit in that, at least in how it's stated in Acts two thirty six, is that um, that their society was corrupt uh, <laughs> because they crucified Him. They crucified the Lord, um, and so there there's a there's a, something wrong with. Was or was something wrong with Israel as a people uh, during that time, but it's not something uniquely wrong with them or wrong with that group of people at that time specifically. Uh, this idea of a corrupt generation isn't new to Acts 2, it's in Deuteronomy uh, 32 5. There's this song of Moses. So Moses, at the end of Deuteronomy, teaches Israel this song that they're supposed to sing so that they won't. Um, fall into apostasy again and again i don't think the song worked out much but uh it is this reminder of our tendency to uh drift and so in deuteronomy 32 5 he says they are a they are corrupt and not his children to their shame they are a warped and crooked generation and so peter is just fusing together they are corrupt and they are a crooked generation and into they are a corrupt generation um so there's, there was a problem there with Israel. Um, and that is the thing that Peter says that we need to be saved from, right, um, on the basis of Christ's work, and that he's created this refuge. Um, but the problem we may is, not feel it. The next point is
1: we can't rescue ourselves from the corrupt generation because we're part of it.
2: And many have tried, I think, and yeah. and maybe honest ways. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think about the, you know, some of the genesis of our own country, the Puritans fleeing, you know, the, the oppression of their their home country to sure. try to try to build what they they saw as you know this remnant of true, honest, hardworking, God fearing people. Um, in a new place you know start over fresh
0: yeah what's this, this time
2: this time we're yeah. gonna get it right
0: what's know? this there a red bin here
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we could we can build we can build utopia we can build God God's kingdom on earth just as soon as we kill all of the natives. <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's always something, though. There's right. always the, and um, this corrupting agent that seems to follow us around wherever we go.
0: <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. I to me the the most poignant example is is the um, communist revolutions of the 20th century. Oh, yeah. Because I'm a sympathizer, I want things to be fair. I understand. I've read the Communist Manifesto. Marx had some good ideas. I I think his ideas are at least as good as his opponent's ideas in terms of their moral value. He he wasn't wrong in that society changed with the Industrial Revolution and that there are haves who benefit from have-nots having not, and that they have the power to ensure that that continues and that the private ownership of property is at the very base of this inequity. Uh, None of that's wrong. And so this aspiration to remake society in a way that's fair certainly can't be faulted, I wouldn't think. you, know, you did, who, does, Do you want things to be unfair? Do you want things to be unfair? I mean, we really took a poll. Only, only somebody maybe way, way at the top who's like, yes, unfair is good. It's I like, like it. I'm benefiting right. from unfairness <laughs> right. right now. Unfair is my favorite.
2: You
1: yeah. may fault the means and the methods, but the aspiration that there would be equality sure.
0: is, yeah. is a good thing. Yeah, so that's an attempt to fix what we think is crooked and corrupt in our society and uh then you know you have you have gulags and torture and genocide and stuff though those are unfortunate side effects uh it's kind of one of those wherever you go there you are sorts of things that we can't fix the corrupt generation because we are a part of it we're tainted by it we're participants in it it's all we know and every attempt we make to remediate it will just produce yet another corrupt generation so it's both clear present and inescapable all three i guess uh which is which are really the criteria for needing to be saved Mm-hmm. So sin is a dominating power that uh, we need to be saved from. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Peter says in First Peter 3, 20 and 21, he, he talks about how God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a Clear conscience toward God, and there's that save yourself, and and so baptism is just simply that run away. Uh, it's that leave behind the old society and and um, join the new one, um, and that's how it saves. Uh, so uh, as Peter says, but his analogy here is that that this water of baptism symbolizes the water of the days of Noah, in that Noah was saved through water and baptism. Uh, people are saved through. Water and baptism, okay. So, uh, did water save Noah? <laughs> water saved Noah
1: in the sense that it washed away the evil society right. that he was
0: in. Yes. Is that what is meant? Right. That's Well, I think most of the time when people read that, they think that the ark saved Noah. And water threatened Noah. <laughs> you know but but that just goes to show that our concept of salvation or at least the common concept of salvation is so very different from that of the biblical writers that you know we would think the water's the hazard the, the ark's the salvation mm. and Peter says the water is the salvation right the hazard
1: is the evil society that Noah was
0: in right and that's that's what he that's what Peter presumes that everyone he's writing to, understands, and from Acts 2 where he says, flee this corrupt generation. And so um, that's kind of a big deal because this society that we're in, I mean, it really is our cultural environment. How do you get out of your cultural environment? How do you escape the influences of your culture when it is the very air that we breathe, ideologically, morally, how do you get out of it? Um, that's It's kind of a big jump. It does require something that we humans do not have. As we've said, every time we try to get out, we just land in a different layer of the prison. Yeah, and we can get a bunch of people that all think
2: the same way that we do and try to go have you know our own little separate culture and try to reinvent things. Mm-hmm. But we've seen that that fails over and over again. Right.
0: <laughs>
2: Not because there's a necessarily a problem just with the culture, but there's a problem in, it in us, which then permeates every culture that we try to shape and create.
0: Exactly. So really, when we say we need to be saved from a corrupt society, those are two things that go together in one. We need to be saved from society. Um, Back in the 60s, hippies said they they would go find themselves. Sometimes getting off by ourselves, we we have to assess, we have to ask, who am I? Because who we are is being lost to the people around us. Their demands, their expectations, their requirements, their enticements, their manipulation. We are being lost. You as an individual are being lost with every interaction that you have with somebody else. Every time you tell somebody what they want to hear when it's not really what you think. Every time you are quiet when you felt like you should have spoke every time you you feel the need to um just change the picture to exaggerate the positive and stuff you're losing something of your authentic self and and so there is this erosion that's happening to our person our personhood and maybe anymore nobody cares that that's going away but that's really who i am and it's only thing worth saving really you know uh Alex, you were talking about social media and how everyone's projecting a false self. And we've always done it. We're just doing it on a larger scale. We're doing it exclusively as opposed to on a part time level. But there's always been this tendency to project the self that our society requires and to but that the real self dies behind that projection. So we need to be
1: we need to be saved from the corrupting influence of society.
0: Well, just, yeah, because the the external controls are destroying us as a person. Our souls are being destroyed by the things outside of us. But we also need to be saved from corruption, this inner brokenness and influence that that we've received from society, but also that we cast out into society and we pollute society by so that, let's say I'm really insecure and I need to have constant affirmation and so I'm going to um, become a womanizer, right? So the corruption within me, that which is broken within me, becomes a brokenness outside of me and, and so it spreads and so everyone has this disease and everyone is spreading the disease and afflicting one another and... So there is corruption and there is society, there is the corrupt society. I need to be saved from the influence of other people both as individuals and wholesale and I need to be saved from my own what's inside of me nowadays people even use the word demons. Yeah. And we don't really mean demons maybe but that but people the, the Again, this gets back to what you know already, what you know you're being afflicted by. And the fact that a society that is becoming post-Christian continues to talk about people having demons says that they do know there's a problem.
1: (laughs) Now, this whole conversation is predicated on Romans chapter 1, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That's really what's lying behind this whole discussion. And so it makes me think we should ask our readers to go and... uh, read Romans chapter 1, the following verses, because he goes on to outline the corruption of society, what humanity has become, how bad it is in the world. Right. And he's implying that the gospel saves us from that, which is what I think you're
0: claiming. Right. Well, and that both Jew and Greek need saving because Jews were religious people. They would look at the Greeks and the Gentiles as the sinners. Okay. But um, that very notion that I'm with the good people and you're with the sinners is a part of that corruption. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's Romans chapter <laughs> and, two. Right. Where and he goes on to say uh, yeah.
0: and it's and the Jews are no better off. Right. They've committed the same sins mm-hmm. and they are under the same judgment. And so if you can't if you can't create some sort of super orthodox religious group and escape the corrupt society, what can you do? Right? That both sides need to be saved, that those who are hedonists just following their pleasures and drives without regard for God, they need to be saved. You know, they they ought to know that. Just that we are racing toward an idiocracy ought to tell us that a hedonistic, self-serving way of life is destroying us, okay? Uh, but on the other side, you join some hyper-religious cult in order to escape that because you see this slide and you want other people to control you and you want to escape. You know, escape. You want to have a society that's in a bubble. But those people themselves become toxic and poisonous as they begin to look out on the surrounding world and to judge them and to blame them and disdain them. And within they become uglier and uglier on the inside. There is no place to go.
1: Similar to how uh, Noah and his family were spared, but we see that actually the flood didn't deal with the sin problem. Right. Sin continued to manifest and grow and poison society so really the flood is just a picture
0: right the problem Um, with the flood was that the mortality rate didn't reach 100 (laughs) percent right yeah
1: which is why it ends up really just being used as like a metaphor
0: for what is for what truly saves yeah right and what truly saves has a hundred percent mortality rate and that's how it saves us um because we've died with him and raised again um, only those kind of extreme measures Um, But when Paul looked and he saw the sinners of the Gentiles living more righteous lives today than they did yesterday and today than the Jews ever had, he saw the power of God. When he saw people spontaneously piling up $50,000 worth of magic books and burning them without any specific behest from anyone, he saw the power of God. Spontaneously
2: selling their property at a loss in order to right. give money to those that need it. <laughs> yeah he
0: saw he saw these backwater pagans that some people were afraid would be too violent to evangelize <clears throat> pouring out their goods and showing hospitality and giving themselves to him and to every other um, person in their community. He saw the power of God that there was something that finally could change things without this coercive, controlling you know device that that has really we default to and there's a lot more to say about that but well that's a great place to end today that was a good discussion
1: thanks everyone for joining us you can reach out to us at faithrecoverypodcast.com
0: and we have an email you can email us at discussion at faithrecoverypodcast.com
1: thanks Uh, send us your questions there see you next time